This is I Am Not a Virus, an exclusive interview with Dr. Jordan Van Hemert by Alan McGuire. This is found in the World Edition of Aware Now magazine. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Dr. Jordan, let me make sure I say this right, Van Hemert, correct? Yeah, yeah, yep, that's how I typically say it, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, fantastic. Thank you so much for taking time today. I just want to get right into it. And um, when it comes to racism, to take a stand, some will take a knee, others take to the streets, but you took your saxophone and you produced an album. Tell us the story behind I Am Not a Virus, please. Of course, yeah. Well, again, thank you so much for having me today. Um, you know, I had thought about recording an album um, and it, it had been an idea that I had kicked around for a while, but I had never found like the right set of circumstances. Um, and finally in 2020, I'd, I was like, okay, I've had enough. I just need to record this thing. So in January, I booked some studio time uh, at our studio at Hope College. Um, we have an in-house recording studio um, with a terrific engineer, Drew Elliott. Um, and I booked that time and the, the coronavirus really was not as much in, um, in the United States. Uh, and so didn't really think necessarily anything of it. Like it, the pandemic was still this kind of far away thing. Like we knew this could be a problem, but it was not yet uh, an imminent uh, force. And in March, when everything went into lockdown, I what I noticed was um, this surge of anti-Asian violence and rhetoric. Um, and all of a sudden uh, we were seeing some old ideas uh, rehashed in a very much 21st century form where we had the internet and all of the things that it, it makes accessible, uh, the platform that it gives to anybody, frankly. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I noticed all these things happening, but what really tipped it for me was, um, it was the people who were saying, oh, this isn't a problem. Calling it the Chinese virus isn't a problem. That's where it's from. Wuhan virus, that's where it's from. That's where it's from. And I, I actually had a, a pretty derogatory comment on my own Facebook uh, page, um, the, my personal page, not, my, not even my artist page, where somebody, whoops, <laughs> where somebody said, uh, you idiot, um, you are spewing communist Chinese propaganda and you are, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. This is, this is a problem, this is problematic and, and you, uh, it's your fault. And it's from Wuhan, you idiot. Um, and I was like, well, um, you know, I, I was just so shocked, you know, at the, this was like a paragraphs long message. And I was like, why, why is this here? Um, and so there's, but there are still people who think like that um, and think that calling it the Chinese virus is not a, you know, not a, a particularly harmful thing. But we have the World Health Organization saying, actually, you probably shouldn't say that because it places blame and it's a setup for xenophobia. You know, it's a, and um, a lot of people point to the Spanish flu um, of the early 1900s, but that didn't actually come from Spain. <laughs> it would, and, and, and people are like, oh yeah, it's called Spanish flu and it came, came from Spain. And it's like, well, actually it didn't. Um, it was just a result of, uh, you know, the media coverage in Spain. Um, but anyway, I, I, 
So what ended up happening was I received either enough of those messages or, or personal comments that I thought this needs to change. This this is this is enough. I'm I'm done with this. And um, so I launched into writing music about um, about 2020 and about um, our circumstances as Asian Americans because I thought I just don't think people understand what it's like to be Asian American. I don't think people understand what it's what I and and there's a lot that we don't say, but there's also a lot that we do say and it gets ignored. So I wanted this album to be like a tangible way to not only raise awareness about these issues, but to actively fight it and speed up or speak up rather and tell our story. That's that's incredible. And the fact that um, you know people think of storytelling, the first thing they think of are, are words and but you tell this incredible several incredible stories on this album with no words letting the music be in that narrative and, and speak for you. Um, just incredibly profound. Um, yeah. So, you know, you have said what we need is for people to make some noise. You certainly have stepped up, uh, like you just said, and, and shared and made noise uh, beautiful noise, <laughs> music, as it were. What is the noise that you are hoping to hear? What are some examples um, of this noise that you hope will bring about some change? Well, that's a great question because I made that comment uh, in an interview. Um, I, I think it was right after the March 16 uh, domestic terrorist attack. And I think that comment has been kind of misinterpreted as we need to take to the streets, we need to riot, we need to go and, and break some stuff down. And um, that's not at all what I was saying, although, you know, um, people certainly have taken to the streets in, in form of peaceful protest. But the thing is, what I meant was too often these situations are met with silence. And the silence is the language of the oppressor. And so silence is that tacit approval that what the oppressor is doing is okay. And what I meant to, what I wanted to say through that comment was, we need people to speak up about this. We need our allies of other races and ethnicities to call it out. And you know what, my, my, the people who have been my strongest supporters um, are, are my black and Latinx colleagues. And, and they, they, because they know what it's like. They know what it's like to be constantly othered. And so right away, you know, I received messages. I received emails of, I'm here for you. I'm holding space for you. How can I help? How, what, can we, what can we do? And I don't take that for granted for a second. But it's the, the silence and primarily the silence um, from the... Um, The primarily the silence, and I'll say it, the primarily the science, si silence from the white public um, who don't think that they need to speak up or, or um, and, and may not speak up and, and really not mean any harm by it. 
You know, I know a lot of really well-meaning people who just don't speak up about these things. And, and um, but I'm here to say that that not like a, a refusal to condemn these sorts of things in your own life, a refusal to call out um, anti-Asian, you know, jokes, a refusal to call out the stereotypes that we see all over the place. Um, that is tacit agreement and compliance with the actions of the oppressor. And so what I meant was we need to make some noise and just start calling this out because it's been, I mean, it, it's been enough. Yeah, and that's a powerful, that's a powerful point that you make, right? The fact that if you refuse to call out, you are in essence condoning that action. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, so, yes, that people do need to make noise in one form or another good noise, right? Right. Um, yeah. Wow. So, you know, so many are helping to raise awareness. Um, about racism, racism simply by sharing their own personal stories. Mm -hmm. You shared one uh, just now. It, is there any other story that sticks out in your mind as well? Like when you when you said a moment ago that people just don't know what it's like. Do you have another example, another story you could share about? Hey, welcome to my world. Sure. You know, I I often um, I often hear several comments. Um, from people talking about about when talking about racism, I hear the um, comment A is, "I'm so tired of talking about this. I'm so tired. Can't we talk about anything else?" Um, and uh, I also hear, "Well, we, you know, we can educate people, but we want to let kids get a little bit older before we actually educate them about this because." You know, they're really not mature enough to handle it. We're not going to traumatize them, et cetera, et cetera. To those comments, I give, I give this story. So uh, when I was in kindergarten uh, and, and about, you know, five, six years old, I, we were coloring, uh, as kindergartners do, and, and uh, a, a young man um, asked me to pass him the skin color. And so I passed him the colored pencil that looked the closest color to my skin. And he threw it back at me and said, that's not the skin color. And I was like, I was so confused because I was like, oh, actually, I'm, you know, looking at my at my hands. And I was like, actually, I'm, I'm pretty sure it is. Um, and to, to that, I say that story is what people need to realize is that story is not something that's all that rare or unique uh, for us to to experience as as young people of color because you know you you are in a situation where you know bandages don't look like your skin and this is regularly reinforcing the idea that like there's something that stands out there's something that that and it, it's all othering and so with that repeated othering happening from such a young age my kind of my my thought is Kids need to learn about this from a young age, because if we are young enough to experience it from that age, um, then they are young enough to learn about it and hear about it. Because kids are far more passionate and flexible than adults are. Mm -hmm. they're, they're far more passionate. They really are. And you know, I, I think we've you know there are a wealth of children's books out 
uh, that explain things of this nature. Uh, another example is Asian eye shapes. Um, you know, the, I, I, I mean, kids have, you know, my eye, my eye shapes and the, the monolid um, has been like a repeatedly um, something that, that, you know, kids tried to tear apart. But the problem is I love my eye shape. I love my monolids. I think, I think they're great. Um, and I, I think they're really, um, again, it's, it's, it's unique and it's, it's not something that everybody has. And I, th I think that's really cool. Um, but it was not always that way. And so um, I think to realize how, like, every time I tell one of these stories, I always get the answer, um, oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you. I had no idea. I'm so sorry that this happened. And really, the, what I want people to know, what I want people to be aware of is that this is, is so ingrained in our society that it is normal for young people of color to, to experience this. And as much as we want to say that we live in this post-racial society, using air quotes, of course, um, the post-racial society, and we've had a black president for two terms and blah, 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 blah. You know, as much as we want to say that, we still live in a society that was not built with us in mind and actually was built to oppress us. And the sooner we acknowledge that and start dismantling those systems through any means necessary, yeah. The sooner the, the sooner we can grow. You know, so much of what you just said, um, speaking about the othering, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm loving this term, um, uh, speaking to the fact that, you know, if we are young enough to experience it, we are young enough to be educated about it. Oh, for sure. I mean, it just makes sense. And, um, you know, and, and I hear you, people who say that, yes, this, this, we're past racism. We're beyond all of that. You know, well, walk a day in someone else's shoes. And you, people, I, I agree with you so much. People say, I'm tired of hearing about this. I'm tired about speaking about it. Well, you know, there are those who are tired of living it. Mm -hmm. So, um, wow. Yeah, well, thank you for all the work that you're doing to, to make a change and to continue these conversations. They do need to continue. Um, you know, end Asian hate is a statement and a demand that more and more are making. What are ways that we all can help bring an end to this? You mentioned already, you know, to um, just, just to listen, right? To share stories. What are some ways that people, you know, you say, I know a lot of well-intentioned people who want to, who don't want to be part of the problem, they want to be part of the solution. What advice would you have um, in how to do that? You know, that is such a great question. Um, and one, really, frankly, that I, um, I, I think, like, yeah, like I said, it, there are a lot of well-intentioned people, but just people who don't, who want to help, but they, they just don't know um, how they can. And so um, I think that the um there's an the answer it it, it there are uh, you know four or five actionable things that that people can do and they're not all like huge things but when you put all of them together that's i think when they become powerful so the first one is, is invest in 
invest in your community. Everybody has a sphere of influence. Your local community, chances are, there are people in that community who may be ignorant to these things. Work on investing in these communities, these local communities, the area around you, to provide culturally competent uh, education. And if you can't do that, find somebody who can. It's just a Google search away. Um, yeah. And with the internet now and with Zoom, since we all you know, live on Zoom these days and other kinds of video calls, those kinds of people are, are really only a, uh, a few clicks away. So that's thing number one. Um, thing number two is that um, we need to be supporting the people who are on the ground doing the work. And on the ground, by that I mean people who are responding to these incidences firsthand. We have a lot of amazing journalists. We have a lot of incredible um, community organizers. Uh, hate is a virus. Um, Next Shark is breaking a lot of this news before national, like before huge national media outlets uh, ever do. Uh, we, of course, the organization that I'm benefiting tonight at the concert. Uh, the National Asian Pacific American Women's Forum. Mm -hmm. uh, all of these uh, Asian Americans Advancing Justice, all of these organizations are doing great work. And some pe if people don't know where to start and what they can do specifically, empower those people who are doing the work. Yeah, um, yeah RISE, uh, an organization uh, headed up by uh, Amanda Wen. Um, it is an organization that has passed, uh, I think, 33 laws. Don't quote me on that. Uh, might be more, but but that's huge. That's huge in terms of anti-racism law. You know, um, the other thing, uplift the voices of minoritized groups. Uh, and so we need to empower and amplify the voices of people who are telling these stories. And it, it, in our education system, we have things, um, it, and, and being an educator, things happen a lot from a non-BIPOC lens, but as soon as you start considering and including these voices in your pedagogy, then we can start to e expand the minds of our uh, young students um, and, and expand what people know and what people are familiar with. And we need to learn this history. People need to learn about the Naturalization Act, they need to learn about um, the Chinese Exclusion Act, they need to learn the names, um, Fred Korematsu, uh, Vincent Chin, people need to learn uh, Yuri Kochiyama, people need to learn all of these names, um, Grace Lee Boggs, people need to learn uh, uh, all, of, all of this history, Japanese internment, um, which let's be real, that was a fancy name for putting Japanese people in, in concentration camps, you know, it, 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 all of these things are important, and yet I did. I when I present to people and I ask, "What do you know about this history? What do you know about the history of Asian Americans in this country?" And people, people don't really know. Right. People, there's a lot that people don't know. Um, and then, lastly, racism is a systemic issue. Yes, it exists within individuals, but there are systems in place that are oppressive. Sooner we acknowledge that, and the sooner we advocate for federal laws 
that allow for a more equitable landscape, a more inclusive landscape, the sooner we can move forward as a society. And so when we uh, you know, are, are looking at you know, our representatives, you know, call your representatives, tell them that things that they are voting for are not okay or are okay. You know, support that, that you support legislation because they are there to represent us. Mm-hmm. It is a representative democracy. And mm-hmm. when we fail to take part in our, um, in our civic duty, which is beyond voting, beyond just voting, but actively taking part in that, uh, in the, in that work, that, that is what can perpetuate a lot of these things. And, and I think that there are a lot of, again, representatives who do want to help, but they might not know how. Right, right. Yeah, and I, what a great point. Oftentimes it's, it's one major vote or two that people focus all their time and attention on. And the ones that really create the needed change or have the opportunity to create the needed change are, are the smaller things that go under the radar um, the smaller opportunities that really are the big ones. So that participation is, is key. Um, you know, before I let you go here today, there was another term that I wanted to speak with that, um, again, in another interview, you had done that, um, that came up and it really resonated with me. And I, I want people to know this, this term. I want people to understand this concept and what it means and personally um, from you. So perpetual foreigner stereotype, please elaborate. Yeah, so um, Asian Americans have a couple of different, um, different kinds of myths and stereotypes that are pitted against us pretty regularly. And one of them is the perpetual foreigner stereotype. This means that no matter how long we've been in this country, no matter what we have going on, no matter um, the, the, the awards, the, the, the honors, anything, no matter how good our English is, we are always seen as foreigners, and that is an othering kind of a thing. So what ends up happening is, um, uh, you know, I have a doctorate degree, but when people see me on the street, they don't see that degree. There's no, like, uh, banner that I wear regularly or anything like that, or there aren't neon lights above me or whatever that point to, oh, this dude has a doctorate. Nobody nobody knows when they just look at me. All they see when they see me is an Asian person. And when they see that Asian person, they see a foreigner. They see somebody who does not, doesn't belong here. And um, to the point where kind of the most common thing that um, a lot of people really would will say to uh, people who look like me and also to me is go back to China. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. Uh, so, so many times, especially these days. But I'm not Chinese. I'm Korean. There is no China for me to go back to. And um, when you think about that, that comes from this idea that people view Asians as a monolith. But Asia is a very diverse continent. 
it, there are so many cultures, so many languages, so many different people groups. Um, and it's, it's absolutely incredible. Um, the amount of diversity on the Asian continent. Right, right. So, but people, when they see us with that perpetual foreigner stereotype, they, they lump us all together. And to them, we're all the same. And this idea of, um, this idea of us and them, it's us and them, it's us versus them. When people think that way, they see us as foreigners, they see us as, as the enemy, something to be afraid of or, or, or threatened by. Right. And that in and of itself, that's one of the greatest obstacles that we face in this country. Right. Right. Wow. Um, I can't thank you enough for your, for your time, for your education, for your enlightenment in this short, not short, I've taken 40 minutes of your time now, but um, thank you so much for sharing all of this. And I think for inspiring so many, I'm sure, to speak up, to speak out and to find your voice. You speak with your music, with jazz, through your sax. There are so many ways to make no needed noise. Mm -hmm. And um, thank you so much for leading by example for sharing your story to helping us all be a bit more aware now thank you so much thank you so much for having me i it's been an honor to speak to you and i um i'm just i'm honored that there are people who want to um share about what i'm doing like i said to you before i'm just one guy trying to do um trying to do right by my community right by my students and when I, um, when I think about what it means to take action in my own life, I, I didn't necessarily think, oh yeah, people are going to pay attention to this. Um, that's not why I do it. So, I, but it is appreciated. So thank you so much um, for having me today. Um, it's been an honor to just speak to you. Well, and we are going to be listening in more. Um, as I mentioned before we got on, I was listening to your album, your debut album that is beautiful and fantastic and would recommend everyone to have a listen. You can find it on Spotify. Um, it's just to, it's incredible. Um, thank you for sharing of yourself, uh, for, for yourself, for others. Thank you so much. Produced by Awareness Ties, I Am Not a Virus, featured Dr. Jordan Van Hamer, interviewed by Ellie McGuire, podcast intro track by Thavius Beck, episode soundtrack by Soul Rising. Aware Now, the official podcast for causes. Presented by Awareness Ties, Aware Now is rated O for original and organic content to raise awareness for the causes we're all tied to through personal stories and exclusive interviews. Tune in as we raise awareness a story at a time about topics that aren't always easy to talk about through conversations that are sometimes hard to have. Together, we are aware now. Thank you for listening to Aware Now. To read our magazine, watch our broadcast, or join our community, be sure to visit our website, awarenessties.us.